Well, for those that don't know, my name is Stephen Lee, and I'm the lead pastor of the North Campus. And I was a Bethlehem College and Seminary graduate in 2012 and pastored in Illinois. And now I've been serving at the North Campus for about two and a half years. And so it's a joy to bring greetings from the North Campus to downtown and south in particular. It's a joy to be here as we look at a very familiar passage in John 10. And so would you join me as we pray and ask the Lord for help. Father in heaven, give us eyes to see the truth of your word, to behold the splendor and majesty of your son Jesus. Enliven our hearts this morning with your truth so that we would entrust ourselves to this good shepherd and trust him with everything and our whole future. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The last three weeks, we've been looking at various passages related to shepherding in light of some of the proposed transitions that we've been talking about. We've been talking about the task of shepherding and oversight in the church. We looked at Acts 20, Hebrews 13, and then last week with Pastor Dave, 1 Peter 5. And these have been sobering messages for all of us who serve as shepherds, as elders, Because these are all about how we're to shepherd the flock of God that's among us, that's been entrusted to us. These are sobering messages. And yet this morning, I want to look at a text that undergirds all that we've been talking about. And that is precisely at the chief shepherd, the good shepherd himself. How does Jesus talk about himself and the task of shepherding? Now, this message isn't to convince you of the wisdom of the changes or transitions that the elders are proposing. We can talk about strategies and tactics and all of those realities, structure, long-term future. But this morning, I mainly just want us to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. That's my aim, that you would see Jesus afresh. That as we look at the trees of shepherding, we would not lose sight of the forest of the good shepherd himself. And if you've been around church for some time, you've probably heard a message or two on John 10. And perhaps they've gone a little bit like this. They mainly spend the bulk of the time talking about the stupidity of the sheep. Sheep are stupid animals, right? They could run off the ravine. If you leave them to themselves, they'll eat up all the grass and then begin eating their excrement. Or perhaps they're so wayward that they need their leg broken. And so the shepherd needs to pull them back, the crook and the shepherd's hook, and all of those realities. They jump off cliffs. We've heard of all those things, but this morning is not about the stupidity of the sheep. I don't necessarily disagree with those things, but this morning is mainly about the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And my main point this morning is that by his death, Jesus is gathering to himself all of his sheep, calling them by name, and he gives them abundant life. And then he guides them as the good shepherd of their souls. And knowing these truths about Jesus should transform everything about our lives. 
So here's the plan. What I want to do is look at the first, the two main controlling metaphors in our passage. Verses 7 through 10, Jesus calls himself the door of the sheep. He's the sheep gate. And then in verses 11 through 15, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. So we're going to look at those two and then we'll seek to apply these truths and see the implications in them for us as his people. But before we look at John 10, let me situate us in the context. Unsurprisingly, John 10 comes right after John 9. And if you look at John 9, Jesus has just healed a man who was born blind. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of that day got angry. They interviewed the man, and then they went to his parents and interviewed them. And the parents got afraid, and they said, he's of age. Ask, ask the man himself. And they interviewed him again. And eventually, this results in the man being cast out of the synagogue. And between 9 and 10, there is no break. And so Jesus is teaching to this same crowd, in this same setting, making a commentary on what has just transpired in chapter 9. But I don't want us to miss this. The blind man who's now been healed is able to see Jesus. And the Pharisees who have no vision impairment are the ones who are blind to Jesus. And it's a threefold blindness. They don't see the power of God. Chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus says, this man is born blind so that the works of God might be shown. And then Jesus in verse 5 of chapter 9 says, I am the light of the world. And then the Pharisees in verse 40 and 41 say, well, Jesus, are we blind? And if you have to ask the question, bad news. You are blind. And Jesus says, you're blind to even your own blindness. And so that's why Jesus begins to enter into this discourse in chapter 10. So in the midst of all this, let's see the good shepherd of our souls. So let me summarize verses 1 through 6 for us. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus teaches that there's mutual recognition between a shepherd and his sheep. The image, perhaps, is of a large sheep pen that multiple families would have shared. And there would be one gate, and all of those shepherds would bring their sheep into that pen at night. And they would hire a gatekeeper or a porter who would watch over all of those sheep at night. And he would keep watch through the night, and then the shepherd would come back in the morning, and the gatekeeper would recognize him, and he would open up the gate, and the shepherd would stand at the entrance and make his distinctive call or make his distinctive noise. And the sheep would hear the voice of the shepherd, and they would come out, and he would lead them out. That's essentially the summary of verses 1 through 6. And what Jesus is stating there is that there's a very deep and intimate familiarity and recognition between the shepherd and his sheep. The sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and they follow him. Chapter 10, verse 4. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so Jesus is saying, thieves and robbers come, but they jump in from the outside. They sneak in. And I think he's likening these thieves and robbers to the Pharisees. They're the ones that just cast this man who was born blind, who's now been healed, out of the synagogue. They don't understand the works of God. They are thieves and robbers. And yet Jesus comes, and this man recognizes Jesus' voice, and he comes Jesus knows 
his sheep, and his sheep know him. Jesus knows every single person who is called by his name. Let that reality, let that truth dawn on us afresh. Jesus knows each and every single one of those whom he calls. Recently on Twitter, a bastion of thoughtful engagement, I read a tweet by an atheist organization mocking Christianity that read a little bit like this. It said, Christianity, colon, Belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Now, we might quibble over the numbers, but yes, that's true. That God of the galaxies, of the universe, has come And he wants to have a relationship with you. And Jesus gets very explicit. I am the shepherd and I know my sheep. And my sheep, they know me. So, we come now to verses 7 through 10. Jesus says he's the sheep gate. Let's read that again. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, the people didn't understand the metaphor that Jesus was using in verses 1 through 6. Verse 6 tells us that. And so now Jesus switches the metaphor, and now he talks about himself as the door of the sheep. Unsurprisingly, Jesus expands on this metaphor of sheep and shepherd. And he might be hearkening back to Psalm 118, verse 20, where it says this. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. But what Jesus is doing here is he's contrasting again himself and thieves and robbers. But instead of being the shepherd this time, he talks about himself as the sheep gate. And thieves and robbers were likely false messiahs, Israel's leaders, and the Pharisees that had come before. They only come to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes so that his sheep might have life and have it abundantly. And so the image here is that Jesus is the only way into God's kingdom, into his flock, into his family. When he talks about being the sheep gate, he's saying to get in is to be in my kingdom. It's not unlike when Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when Jesus is talking about the sheep gate, he's not talking about the intimacy as much anymore, but he's talking about the entrance into the kingdom. There's no other way into God's kingdom apart from Christ. These verses are a simple picture of the gospel. And I want not to skip over this because I know that in a gathering our size, at the downtown and south campuses this morning, there are unbelievers who are among us. 
who are not fully convinced, who are asking questions, who are wondering. And this is Jesus saying, we live in a world where there are forces out to steal, kill, and destroy. To destroy you and to destroy your joy. Our world is full of things that rob us of joy. You just have to pull up the news for just a second. Anxiety over the coronavirus, our current political election, the opioid epidemic that probably strikes closer to home than we'd like to think, health failures and crisis in our own lives, in our extended family, and dozens of other things that rob us of our joy. And Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms that if you've come in to the gate through him, you are in his family. You have the God of the universe on your side. And so Jesus is talking about you get salvation, spiritual nourishment, and abundant life. And so for those who are not fully trusting in Jesus this morning, Jesus himself talks about in Matthew 25 that there will be a final judgment. He says this in verse 33 of Matthew 25, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And so this morning, my aim is to give a plea for those who are not fully convinced that they've entered in to the gate through Jesus. You have a good shepherd in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you come in? Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He makes it possible because he died to take the punishment for your sins against the infinitely holy God And he's calling you to come and find life and nourishment and safety and security. And that's the whole point of the book of John. The whole thesis for the book of John is so, it's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John 20, verse 31. And so we're pleading for you this morning to come and believe and to see that you can have entrance into God's family through the gate of Jesus and find safety and spiritual nourishment and abundant life. But for those of us who are trusting Jesus this morning, though we wander, though we're fearful and anxious, though we're overwhelmed and flustered, Jesus gives us abundant life. So call to mind now Psalm 23. The shepherd leads us beside still waters, makes us lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. Or perhaps Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is what God promises his people, his sheep that come in through him. Or Isaiah 40, 11, he says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So Jesus gathers his sheep to himself in safety to give them abundant life in Christ. 
And now in verses 11 through 15, he calls himself the good shepherd. Look with me at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. He flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The contrast here is between now the good shepherd and not thieves and robbers, but the hired hand. Essentially, the hired hand says, you don't pay me enough to risk my life to take care of these rascally sheep. I don't get paid enough. And Jesus says, that's not who I am. I'm not the hired hand. Perhaps this metaphor calls to mind King David, who's also called a shepherd. 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35 says, this is David speaking to Saul. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Now, I don't know a lot about shepherding, but if I think a lion has just come and gotten one of the lambs, I think, woo, we got off easy. That's a good thing. Let that, you know, sacrificial lamb, the rest of them are safe. But that's what, what David says. He says, I go after him. The lion's running away and I'm going after him to strike him so that I might save that sheep. And the picture that we get now is Jesus is the better shepherd. He's the good shepherd in the line of David. The contrast here is a hired hand who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep and flees. There's a striking difference. There's a bad shepherd who just runs when trouble comes. Zechariah 11:17 says, Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. God hates a worthless shepherd, a hired hand. And Jesus has come to be the perfect, chief, good shepherd of our souls. Perhaps one of the most fearful passages in Scripture is God's condemnation of the shepherds of Israel. Ezekiel 34. I want you to turn there and see this. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 34. And we're going to look at verse 2 to six. Thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. This is the sharpest and most brutal rebuke of the shepherds of Israel that we probably read of in all of the Bible. But then God makes a promise. Look down at verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. He promises them 
personal shepherding care through a shepherd like David. He says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods." So notice the stark difference between bad shepherds, worthless shepherds, the hired hand, and who Jesus calls himself, the good shepherd. Hired hand has no concern, whereas the shepherd is even willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Hired hand sees danger and runs. The good shepherd protects his sheep, goes out and strikes down the lion or the bear to bring back his sheep. But the statement, I am a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, is actually a really bad scenario. If the shepherd dies, all the sheep are exposed. So that's the worst case scenario. If the shepherd gets struck down, all of the sheep are ripe for the picking, for thieves and robbers and predators and the elements and falling down a ravine. A dead shepherd is a useless shepherd except in the case of Jesus Christ. That's precisely what makes him a good shepherd. Jesus isn't confused when he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is good precisely because he dies, because he provides the needed sacrifice for sinners. He dies on the cross. So Jesus is good. Yes, he knows his sheep. Yes, he loves his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He protects his sheep. But Jesus is good mainly because he dies for his sheep. Because our greatest issue as sheep is not the elements and not predators, but it's our sin. And Jesus has died so that he might take on himself our rightly deserved punishment and give us atonement for sin so that we would have his righteousness. So Jesus' words make explicit so that there would be no confusion when he actually gets crucified. That they think, oh, Against his will, Jesus was dragged off. Oh, Jesus got blindsided by the cross. No, Jesus laid down his life precisely so that he could call himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's not an unwilling participant, but he lays down his life purposefully, intentionally, so that we might have life and have it abundantly, so that we would have perfect care With no uncertainty, Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. But Jesus goes even further. If you thought this was good news, there's even better news. Look at verse 14. He says, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus knows his sheep just like the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father. This is perhaps one of the most stunning statements in this section. All of the statements are stunning, but this one's really stunning. How well does God the Father know Jesus the Son? How well? Perfectly, infinitely, fully, no deficit in that knowing. 
or loving? And how well does the Son know the Father? Fully, infinitely, perfectly. No deficit in the Son's knowledge of the Father. And now let's look at our passage again. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. There is a constant, overflowing, eternal love between the Father and the Son. A constant, perfect, loving and knowing. And Jesus says, that's how much I know my sheep. If you're feeling ignored on the margins, like people don't see you, that when you come to church, people don't greet you, no one knows my name, that if I killed myself, no one would know. Oh, Jesus knows. Jesus knows you this morning. He knows you by name. He knows you so deeply, intimately, as the Father knows the Son and says over him, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus looks at his sheep and says, oh, I know each and every single one of them. I know them by name. It's beautiful and glorious how much Jesus knows and loves us. It's hard to imagine It's too good of news to really fully understand that Jesus loves me and knows me that much like the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father and I get brought in to that union of the triune God of perfect love. It's hard to to fathom, but it's true. And so when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I know my sheep and my sheep know me, it's not just, oh yeah, you know, I call and they listen and they come. that I know them down to the very cells of their body. There's nothing about them that I don't know. Nothing about their thoughts, about their lives, about their heartaches and pains and suffering and loneliness that I don't see and care so deeply about. That's what it means for us to have a good shepherd in the person of Jesus Christ. So because of Jesus' death, we have entrance into his kingdom and he gives us abundant life and then he's our good shepherd who cares for us. So what do we do with these truths about Jesus as the sheep gate and as the good shepherd? Well, I want us to remember three things this morning. Three applications. First, you are God's beloved sheep. You are God's beloved sheep. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So Jesus says to all those who are his, I know you as deeply and intimately as the Father knows the Son. I love you with the heart disposition of love and joy and pleasure as much as the Father knows and loves the Son. That's astounding to think about. That Jesus was so pleasing to God the Father that God had to come and say, this is my beloved Son. So how much does the Father know and love the Son? Infinitely, fully. No hint of reservation to the Father's love for the Son. And so it is with us this morning. No matter what you did last night or where you may be or how you're feeling or what others say about you, whether your children or your spouse or your friends or your enemies, God says, I have no hint of reservation with loving you with infinite love in the person of Christ by my own blood. 
This is not a mushy, sentimental love, but a reality that's rooted in the cross, carried out at Calvary, and that will echo for all eternity. You are God's beloved sheep. So for some of us, we we need to hear this. Don't base your self-worth in your performance or your success or your likability or your productivity or your respectability or your accomplishments. Your self-worth and value is because Jesus has set his love upon you and called you his own and you've entered into his kingdom, into his family, into his flock as one of his sheep who recognize his voice. Jesus was willing to pay for all those who are his with his own blood at infinite cost to himself. And so that's how much you're worth. Second, second thing I want us to remember, you have a good shepherd. Not only are you God's beloved sheep, but you have a good shepherd. We have a good shepherd in the person of Jesus Christ who's leading and feeding and guiding us. And I think the contrasts are the best way to see the role of the good shepherd. Jesus is not a thief or a robber. Jesus doesn't save us so he can get something out of us. He doesn't save us so that he can sell us on the black market, so that he can benefit from us. Instead, he lays down his life for us so that we might have everlasting life. His commands, they're not burdensome, but they lead to life, abundant life. Jesus is not a stranger. God calls us with an irresistible love so that when we hear his voice, we know him deep in our souls so that it awakens in us fresh joy and delight. I hope that's happening for you here this morning, that when you hear these passages being read and Jesus as the good shepherd, that deep inside your soul you say, yes, I'm so glad that I have a good shepherd who calls me and my heart is awakened with love for him, knowing that he loves and cares for me. And so this morning, do not harden your heart to the good shepherd. I know that in this gathering there are wandering and straying sheep And Jesus longs to bring you back, to turn from our sin, to turn from our self-sufficiency, to turn from our self-condemnation and all of our other insufficient saviors to come back to the good shepherd of our souls. Jesus is not a thief or a robber. He's not a stranger and he's not in hired hand. He doesn't see danger and say, I'm out of here. I'm running the other direction. No. Jesus doesn't do it for the wages or what he can get out of it. He doesn't flee when things get tough, but he knows and loves and cares for his sheep and is willing, and not just willing, but has laid down his life for his sheep. That's what makes him a good shepherd. He's loved us with his own blood. So you're God's beloved sheep. You have a good shepherd. And thirdly, your under shepherds are looking to the good shepherd shepherd. So in the midst of this 2020 vision series, and as we talk about all of these changes, I've tried intentionally not to draw a straight line between the good shepherd and the changes and transitions we're talking about. Because the good shepherd knows each and every single one of his sheep. He knows everyone at downtown. He knows everyone at south. He knows everyone at north. And the reality is that Jason, Dave, and myself we will struggle to remember your name for the fifth time. We will not know 
very many of you at the end of the day. And if we know your name, we won't know the deep recesses of your heart. And we lament that. We wish that wasn't true. But we won't know each and every single one of you. Yes, the elders and the overseers, the pastors are aspiring to shepherd more like the good shepherd. He's our model for ministry. We want to shepherd the sheep that are entrusted to us, that are among us. We know we'll give an account for those that we've been entrusted with. We want to exercise oversight willingly, not for shameful gain, as examples to the flock. And yet, we're not Jesus. We're not the good shepherd. Only Jesus is sufficient for you to put your hope and trust in. We will disappoint. So, your shepherds model our ministry after the good shepherd. We want to know those we're called to serve. We want to know and love and feed and protect the sheep in preaching and teaching and leading and providing pastoral care. But we labor not to be thieves or robbers or strangers or a hired hand, but we want to be approved workmen. 2 Timothy 2.15, we want to be those who do their best to present themselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then at the end of the day, your under-shepherds, your pastors, your elders, we're sheep. We're sheep. We're just like you. Interact with any of your elders for a little bit of time and you realize we're sinners. We're sinners in need of God's grace. We're beggars that have found bread and get to point fellow beggars to the bread of life. And so our hope is not that you might find your comfort, your hope, your trust in any one individual, but that you would find your hope and trust in the great chief shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who's worthy of our affections. He's the only one who's worthy of us putting all of our eggs into that basket. And if your hope is in any one of us, oh, we're going to let you down. We're going to let you down. So we labor imperfectly, and yet we're eager to shepherd this flock entrusted to us with wisdom and care. And so maybe just a few last things. In the midst of all this conversation of possible changes and transitions, and some get really excited, they can't wait, and others are nervous, perhaps about the temporary changes or perhaps thinking long-term, well, what does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean for us and our global partners, or our seminary, and all these other big questions? Be reminded that our hope and our trust is not in strategies and tactics and FAQs and models and methods, but our hope and trust remains on our good shepherd. He has been faithful for 149 years to this church body, and will he not be faithful for another year or another 150? Oh, the chief shepherd of our souls will do it. He will do it. He will lead and guide his people. He will build his church. And so as you pray, as you consider the changes, as you ask good questions, place your trust not in Jason, not in Dave, not in myself, not in me, but in our chief shepherd. Shepherding is not the end goal. Shepherding leads to mature, godly, blood-bought, 
gospel-centered, word-saturated disciples that are committed to making disciples of others. And so all of this shepherding is so that we might mature and grow, that we might see the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another, and that we might be transformed and increasingly look like Jesus. For what end? For God's glory, yes, but so that we might reflect his goodness to a watching world. And so that's what we're called to this morning. I don't want us to lose sight of that. In the midst of all the internal conversations, we have been given a commission, and we have been called on mission to magnify Christ. We have neighbors and friends and colleagues and co-workers who are perishing without Jesus. They are goats. They are wandering. They don't know that a good shepherd even exists. And so that's what we're called to, that we might magnify Jesus to a watching world and call them in. Now look with me at verse 16 of chapter 10. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus has more sheep he's calling. In this context, he's probably talking about the Gentiles. He's been talking about the Jews, and now he's saying, I got other sheep that I want to bring in, the Gentiles. But for us, we are the Gentiles, and there are more sheep still to be brought in. And we get now to be the voice of our good shepherd so that when we represent and share the good news of this good shepherd, we get to call others in with his voice so that they might see the beauty of the good shepherd and believe and have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would cause these truths to sink deep into our souls so that we would rejoice afresh at having a good shepherd. That we would trust you more than anything else. That we would not trust insufficient saviors, but we would trust the all-sufficient good shepherd of our souls. So meet us, we pray, O God. Help us to delight in you And then send us out so that we might be fruitful and effective and winsome in declaring the good news of a good shepherd who has come to give life and to give it abundantly. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.